in here dealt with growing pains when you were younger? Anybody? We got any young people in here dealing with them now? I mean, they're a real thing. I remember from the time I was about 12 years old till I was 17, my legs used to just ache. And, and it, I mean, it was annoying, but there, it wasn't a cramp. It wasn't a leg cramp. It wasn't muscle. They just hurt. And I would ask, you know, I'd ask my doctor, different people, like, my legs just ache. And they said, well, you're just growing. And there's nothing you can do about it until you're done growing. You're probably going to experience this. And I just remember one day it just quit. You know, I had gone a long time, I was about 17, and it just stopped happening. And I looked back and I thought, wow, I haven't felt my legs ache in some time. I guess I'm done growing. <laughs> but growing pains are a real thing. And, and why is that? Because we're changing. You know, most of the time you ask people, what is the number one cause of conflict in the world? And people will say, what? Miscommunication. Right? We've got to communicate. But that's not true. The number one cause of conflict is change. You know why? Because we don't like it. Because change is hard. Change is difficult. Change makes us uncomfortable. And sometimes change even hurts. And it's a necessary pain to help us grow, to help us see the world differently. You know, it's... Uh, anybody who's had children understands this, this process. Of, you know, just about the time you think you have something figured out, you enter into a new phase. And you think, do I even know how to parent now? Because my child just changed on me. <laughs> and it's like we have a whole different set of rules now. Well, what is that? It's us growing as parents, as people. It's our children growing as a person. And, you know, they start thinking differently. And so... Growing pains are a a natural part of any process that is worth going through. And we see this same thing happen in Nehemiah chapter 5. And so let's look in Nehemiah 5, and we're going to read to start out verses 1 through 13. And I want you to just listen to, out of, almost seemingly out of nowhere, a problem arises that you know, kind of has nothing to do with the wall, and yet does. So, starting in verse 1, it says, Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our field and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. I was very angry when I heard that outcry in these words. I took counsel with myself, and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. 
Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations and our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, We will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priest and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So, he, so may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praise the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. So I got to think, if I were Nehemiah right here, I would. It, it, he said he was very angry. I'm pretty sure I'd be pretty frustrated too in that moment. You know, you're trying to build the wall. You've got these external threats. I mean, you've got all this going on. And then you find out that you have people that are taking advantage of others that are just trying to do the right thing. You, you've got the wealthy taking advantage of the poor. You, you have, in a sense, economic injustice going on in the midst of this kind of crisis situation where everybody's supposed to be banding together. You have opportunists who are making life difficult for other people. But on top of that, even more so, in Moses' law, in the Mosaic law, charging interest on loans like this was against the law. And so we see that what's happening is as they're building the wall, the people are starting to, in a sense, come into their own of thinking, and, and wait a minute, this isn't possible. This, is, this isn't going to work like this. They're mortgaging their fields. They're doing this, and people are just collecting left and right. And this is a process that can't continue. If the people are to survive as a people after the wall is built, practices like this have to end. And so what we see is the people, you know, they start an outcry. And it says that their wives, the people, they start having an outcry, not against Nehemiah, not against the building of the wall, not against the work of God, but against the injustice that's going on within their own communities. And Nehemiah hears about it. And he gets angry because he says, you know, this is counterproductive to everything we're doing. And he addresses it and he tells him, you know, i got to give everything back. You've got to repay this. You've got you to make this right. Now, for Nehemiah to call an assembly in that moment, he meant business, wouldn't you think? Because he has managed to keep the building on the wall going. But in this moment, he calls everybody together. And he's like, we're going to deal with this right now. You ever had that situation in life where you're like, nope, we're not waiting another day. This is going to get dealt with right now before we do anything else. That's exactly where Nehemiah was. Now, in the bigger picture, one of the things that we can see in this you know, kind of episode in, in Nehemiah's history right here is that moving forward in God's vision means moving forward in sanctification. Everything that God does when he calls us to obey, everything that happens in that process is to make us more Christ-like. Everything is there to push us forward in our faith, to push us forward in our obedience, and God is not going to waste anything. And so God wasn't surprised by this. Nehemiah was. He didn't know what was going on, but God knew. 
And God also knew that as they're building the wall, the sacrifices that would be necessary, you know, people aren't able to farm. They're there. They're not farming. They're building the wall. They're not tending to stuff that would normally have their attention. He knew that this process would eventually push this issue of, of exorbitant interest on loans and taking advantage of people. It was going to kind of push that to the top. This was something that had gone on for 70 plus years probably. This was kind of now a way of life. It was contrary to their law, but it was happening anyway. And isn't it funny how God starts one process, but it pushes another one up to the surface. Have you ever experienced that in life where you, you almost feel like you're catching it from every angle, but it's really just because God has started one process in your life that now is exposing others? That's exactly what was happening. Because fulfilling God's vision is always about more than the specific vision. Now, this is what should excite you and bring excitement to anything. Anytime God tells you to do something, we can all be assured he's doing more than just that thing. You know, we can get one-track minded. We can get tunnel vision and we can start thinking it's just this. This is all that matters. God is always working at every possible angle. Everything There are things we can't even think of that are going to be affected by us obeying God. Now, I don't know about you, but that's exciting to me. That God says, hey, you do this. And when we really think about it, we can think, wow, God has a role for me and something really, really big that he's doing. Now, is that really big thing dependent on me? Absolutely not. I mean, if, if God wants it done, it's going to happen. And if I don't do my part, he'll find someone who will. You know, there are lots, there, there are seven billion people in the world. God has no shortage of, of opportunity and people to get done, you know, what he wants done. But when we obey, we are stepping into a process that God has for us that is about more than just what's about to happen. And that should be exciting for all of us. So, you know, we, we look here at what's going on and everybody involved in rebuilding the wall is growing now in their faith in their integrity, and in their courage. Think about these people who were being taken advantage of now suddenly having the courage to speak up and say, hey, this isn't right. This isn't fair. This isn't just. This is against Moses' law. This shouldn't be happening. Why couldn't they do that before? Because they didn't feel secure enough. There was no wall. There was no order. They kind of... You know, they might feel like one who's just shouting into the air and who's going to hear it. You know, maybe they pray, but they're just wondering, when is God going to answer this prayer? But what have they seen now? They have seen God bring order to their lives. They don't know what their lives are yet going to be, but they do see things coming into focus. They see the wall going up. They see this guy, Nehemiah, that nobody, and I mean nobody, wants to uh, stand up to. He has gotten the priests in line. He has gotten the nobles in line. He has gotten everybody in line. And they start to see that, hey, wait a minute, this guy's got integrity, so what do they do? They take a chance and they speak out. Hey, Nehemiah, did you know that this is going on? Did you know that we've had to sell our children into slavery to our own brothers? 
just so we can pay the king's tax, just so we can have some food to eat. We had to mortgage our field to pay the tax, and now we can't eat. And so now I'm having to sell. They, you know, it's almost like the floodgate opened. And this thing that had been underneath the surface for, for generations now was all coming out. Now, was Nehemiah blindsided by, th- by this? Yeah, he was. This was something that he probably didn't see, didn't know what was going on. And, and he's angered by what he hears. But he takes time to think through what to do. I love that it says, I took counsel with myself. You know, when you're Nehemiah in that situation, who do you go to? You know, you see that the nobles are the ones that are doing it. You know, you can't very well send a fax or something back to King Artaxerxes at the time. You know, he's, he's a long ways off. You know it's up to you. What do I do? So he takes time to do that. He doesn't just react. He thinks it through. He prays it through. And he says, and I brought a charge against them. Now, the reason I bring this up, because this is what I think is what we can refer to as righteous anger. You know, the Bible does say, get rid of all anger, malice, wrath. But this is not the anger of man that he is feeling. Okay, in James 1, 19 and 20, it says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now with this, we see it on display with Nehemiah. We see this very thing. He hears it. He does not respond immediately. Anybody in here ever respond in anger? And, and the instant you do it, you know, you just want to, you know, it's, it, it's coming out. And as it's on its way out, you want to grab it, pull it back, but it's too late. You've said it. You've done it, whatever it is, and now you know you've made a bigger mess than it was before. You know you made a mistake, and now you're going to have to own this. Even if you were justified in your anger, your response was, was not godly. We've all done it. Nehemiah had the wisdom that he says, what, I took counsel by myself. I, I took a moment to think about this. Because he was rightfully angry, but he stayed in control of himself, and he took time to consider his actions. And then, what did he do? He took corrective and restorative action. He went, and it says he brought a charge to them, and he says, I told them, you shouldn't be doing this, and you shouldn't be doing this, and so you want to fix it, you give them back everything that you took dishonestly. Now, now think about that. These people, some people had gotten rich off of others. Now, how much do people who do that typically want to give up their fortune? We see this same exact situation in Jesus' life when he met a tax collector named Zacchaeus. Remember that? Zacchaeus climbs up in the tree, wants to see him. He was a chief tax collector, which means he was the crook of all crooks. You know, all the tax collectors could take more than was, you know, than was needed, and they stole, and, and they overtaxed people and kept it for themselves. This is the guy who was in charge of all them. So they had to take more than was necessary because they knew that Zacchaeus was going to steal from them as well. And Zacchaeus had made quite the living off of this kind of pyramid scheme thing he had going on where he was at the top. 
But he meets Jesus, and what happens? He continues to listen to Jesus. Jesus is talking to him. He's having dinner. And finally, he just stands up and he says, You know what? Today, I'm going to make everything right. I'll repay anybody I've stolen anything from four times the amount. And I'll give half of my fortune to the poor. You see, when we come into the presence of God and we are in the middle of that sanctifying process that God gets us in, we will eventually take that corrective action that will fix the problems that that we ourselves have caused. And so that's why Nehemiah is not shy about telling him, you better give everything back. Every bit of wine, oil, grain, fields, people, everything that you have taken, you give it all back right now. Now, I'm going to tell you, that that would be a volatile situation handled in the wrong way. Could you agree? Like I said, people don't just typically just hand things over because they're told to. And this has all kinds of, shall we say, potential to destroy the work on the wall. I mean, you could have a kind of a, a, a civil war break out here with the people that they just decide, you know what, never mind, it's not worth it. I'm going home and I'm not, you know, I'm going to do my thing and Everybody just kind of split up. But in the end, there's something that was the right thing to do. And Nehemiah does it, and he trusts God with the result. But you know, he does one other thing. He takes corrective action. He takes restorative action. But you know what he does after that? He doesn't dwell on it. Once it's settled, it's settled. You don't read anywhere later that he's like, oh yeah, guys, by the way, let's readdress this situation now. Now that we've got the wall built, I need all of you that did this to come on in here. I'm going I'm to dress you down again. I'm going to hold it against you, and I'm going to make sure everybody hates you. He doesn't do that. Like once, he just says, look, God is my witness. If you don't do this right thing, God himself is going to intervene. And they're like, yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it, Nehemiah. We're good. And you kind of just move on in the story, and this doesn't doesn't come up again and I believe that righteous anger in this sense when we are rightfully angry about an injustice about a sin about something that is out of place that should not be out of place we know it's righteous anger and we know our response is godly when we can correct it we can restore what's lost and we can let it go Now, I know nobody in here is able to hold a grudge. Nobody starts thinking later about how somebody wronged you and you kind of spin yourself up again and think, wow, I just, you know, if if I could just get even with them for just a moment. It's easy. It's human nature. We want that justice. And sometimes we want to exact it. We want to be the ones to get even. But we can't. Because what does James tell us? He says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We all have to know that deep down, if we give full vent to anger, if we just respond based on our initial understanding of a situation, we're going to get it wrong. Who here has kind of come to that conclusion in life? Like, you know, I'm just going to get it wrong. There may be a grain of truth in there, but I'm going to get it wrong. 
somewhere in my reaction, in my thought, in my conclusions, somewhere in there, I'm going to mess up. So I have to do exactly what James said here. And what is that? Be quick to hear, listen, get all the information you can, learn, and then what? Slow to speak, slow to anger. Because to be quick on either one of those means I'm going to make a mistake. If I'm quick to speak, I'm going to say something I shouldn't. If I'm quick to anger, I'm going to respond in a way that is not edifying to the other person, that is not glorifying to God. Now, James here doesn't say never speak. He doesn't say never get angry. What does he say? He says be slow about it. Be deliberate. Make sure you understand what the situation really is and understand what the path forward is. Nehemiah did not address this with them until he, it says he took counsel with himself. He thought it through and he understood what needed to happen at what level it needed to happen. Notice he didn't tell him you are never to issue a loan again. It wasn't the loaning that was the issue. What was it? It was the exorbitant interest on those loans. See, he didn't shut down everything that was happening. He just shut down what was unjust, what was unfair. And he said, you better pay it back because this isn't right. But the path forward could be resolved, and when it was resolved, he let it go. Now, why would this whole thing be necessary in the middle of building the wall? I mean, wouldn't this... This would seem like a huge distraction. I mean, like, this is unnecessary... If I were Nehemiah, that would probably be why I would be the most angry. Like, we're really stopping building the wall to deal with this? Y'all are going to take advantage of other like that? I, I probably wouldn't handle it as well as Nehemiah did. I know I wouldn't. Well, the reason is that old sins cannot inherit new blessings. God has a plan for these people. He doesn't just want the wall to be built to show, look, I can build a wall in 52 days. God can do whatever he wants. God doesn't have to show off. And so as he is, this is happening, what else is he doing? He's starting a new work in the midst of a current work. The people have to come back to a place of doing what God says, of obeying his law and honoring and loving one another. You know, what did it say? Love your neighbor as yourself. And so it's clear that the culture encountered by Nehemiah was basically every man for himself. And might makes right. You know, whoever can, can get away with it, then it's fine. Whoever's the strongest, you know, survival of the fittest. That's what their culture had devolved into. Well, once the wall is built and economic trade and, and their presence in the area was reestablished as a genuine power... Could those practices go on and the people thrive? No. So notice how God is addressing the issue before it becomes an issue. It was an issue here, but it was going to be a huge issue after the wall is built and Nehemiah leaves. And so God starts the process of addressing it early. And so the people were taking advantage of each other for their own benefit without thinking about the bigger picture of how their actions, their selfishness affected everyone else. And God had to reteach them how to think like that. 
how to think in terms of community and how does this affect other people and you know what it is unjust for me to charge just because you need to borrow money from me doesn't give me the right to take advantage of you they had to relearn all of this because they had grown up in a culture that said this was okay now anybody in here ever had to face a decision like that when you you maybe were raised in an environment where certain things happen and you thought a certain way and you saw it and it was normal and then one day you find out it's not what God wants that is the hardest thing to change inside right there it, it is we can see all kinds of things but when it's something that we are so accustomed to that we grew up with it it's been acceptable in our culture it's been acceptable in our families this is just the way it's happened and then God convicts somebody and says this has to change that is one of the most difficult things to change inside and that's exactly what God was doing and so like I said in a way we can see God starting a new work in the midst of a current work why because growth feeds more growth growth feeds growth the healthier they become the more potential they have for further health if a person is unhealthy physically there are certain things they can't do but as they grow healthier their potential to do more healthy things grows and this is what God is doing he it, this wasn't just about reestablishing the wall and building safety it was about rebuilding an entire culture that was based on the law of God and the love of neighbor as self that's exactly what this was and, and so my challenge to kind of everybody today is as we move forward and you look in your life at fulfilling a vision that God has given, what he wants you to do, and you're going to step into it, is you have to count the cost of what it's going to take to fulfill that. And when I say count the cost, I don't mean just money or time, but in personal investment and growth. Because if we know going into obedience that moving forward in God's vision means moving forward in sanctification, then we, would, we will step into obedience to God knowing God's going to get in my business on this. And he's going to grow me as a person. And as I pursue God's vision for my life, I will change. You see, I, I, I've run into this so many times in, in in counseling and just different things is so many times we think we really do and I've been guilty of this we think that growing in Christ means just getting rid of the bad stuff and everything else will stay the same you ever kind of had that thought if I could we, we know we're thinking that way when we think if I could just then everything would be great just fill in the blank if I if I could just you ever told yourself that if this would just change, then everything would be... See, we think that somehow growing in Christ just means removing the negative. That's it. If I just... This one sin, if I just overcome this, then everything else will be wonderful. We, we don't understand how entangled everything is. And there's always a ripple effect. that It just spreads through everything. And so when God says, hey, you're going to take this step then as he starts to untangle maybe some sinful thoughts or actions or attitudes, it's going to affect everything. It's going to affect your marriage. It's going to affect your parenting. It's going to affect your job. It's going to affect everything. And as we do that, God's not going to just be like, okay, well, thank you for that one thing. Now we're done. 
What's he going to do? He's going to push you to that next step then. And this isn't earning God's favor. This is not works-based salvation. It's because we are saved that he wants to sanctify us and conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. And it is our goal, should be, to want to please him in all things. To walk by faith and not by sight. And so we have to be ready as we go into fulfilling a vision given by God. We have to be ready for it to literally change us and cost us more than we think going into it. Now, it's totally worth it. But I want you to listen again to what Nehemiah tells the people they have to do in order to solve this problem, okay? Nehemiah 5, 10 through 13, he says, let us abandon this exacting of interest. So right there he says, you've got to stop. All of this that has been normal life, normal life has to end. Now, how many of us respond well to that? Hey, you know that thing you've done and your parents did and everything felt normal? Yeah, it's not normal and it's got to go away now. That's going to be a tough call. But Nehemiah doesn't, he, he does not hesitate. He says, return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priest and made them swear to do as they had promised. So, I mean, Nehemiah drops the hammer on them. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and empty. And all the assembly said, amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had So if you think, in essence, Nehemiah is returning the people back to the commandment of love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't it amazing how when we, when we look at God's commandments and we put them up against situations like this, how simple it can become very quickly? If these people had been loving their neighbor as they love themselves, which was commanded in, in Leviticus... None of this interest, you know, exorbitant interest, and none of these taking advantage of people would have ever happened. They would have said, you know what, you need help? Yes, I will loan you this to help you get through this tough time. Now, did the loans have to be repaid? Yes. Nehemiah doesn't do anything there that, yes, if you borrowed money, you have integrity, you pay it back. But he also says, but those doing the, the lending, you don't get to take advantage of. This is your opportunity to shine and be generous and do what's right and honor and glorify God with your ability to bless somebody else. And so it was a culture where neighbor was abusing neighbor, and now it was time to grow beyond it. It was time for cultural change. So I want you to think about it right here. Had they continued their unjust practices, it would have destroyed them as a people. They would have been no different than the nations around them. God called them to be a light to the world, called Israel to be different because they had God's word. They, they were the people of God. They were called to be different. And so they had to count the cost of making things right and accept that things would not be the same as they were ever again. Have you ever really come to terms with that in your life? That, you know, sometimes we just think, well, things just get back to normal. What if normal died? 
And God is moving us into something different where his blessings are going to be great, but we can't keep looking backwards thinking, well, I just want it to be like this again, when like this really wasn't that good to begin with. You know, the people who had all the money in this situation, they really could look back and say, man, life was good when we had all those vineyards and we got all this money, and I mean, we were rich, and they they were dirt poor, but man, we were rich. Guess what? It wasn't going to be like that anymore. And in fact, think about the wealth transfer that happened that day. These people had amassed all of this stuff to themselves. Nehemiah says, give it all back, all of it. Down they go, up come the others. But that's what had to happen. Because there was no godly fruit coming from the actions that were taking place. There was nothing good that was happening out of that. And so, I want you to listen to to the Apostle Paul. Because healthy things grow and growing things change. And when they grow, they're never the same again. Never the same again. When something grows, it becomes something entirely new and it never goes backwards. You know, we don't see a tree go back to a seed. We don't see a plant go back to a seed at some point. Once it changes, it changes, and it never goes back. And so listen to Romans 6, 21 through 23, as Paul encourages us to move forward in sanctification. He says, But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? As we look back on life and we see how God has grown us, you look back and realize, like, God, thank you for moving me beyond that way of thinking. Thank you for removing that sin from my life because I look back and realize I got nothing from it. It wasn't beneficial to me. It wasn't beneficial to people around. There was no good fruit coming from it. He says, for the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, for Nehemiah, this was a little more of a worldly issue of, you know, just injustice and such, but we see... The, the principle of sin carries over even to us today with, with the grace of God and, and understanding the gospel. We understand the wages of sin is death. Anytime we do anything that is outside the will of God, it can only lead to one place, and that is the grave. Death, whether it's death of a relationship, death of joy, physical death. I mean, it, it can only lead to death. But when we accept the sanctification that God wants and moving forward in his vision and growing and becoming more like Christ, what does he say? He says it leads to sanctification and in the end, eternal life. That's what God, that is the path that he has us on. And so after the death and resurrection of of Jesus, every vision of God that he gives to his people is to lead us to greater faith in and dependence upon Jesus. We never grow to a point where we get to be independent of Jesus. We grow in our faith to him, our faith in him. We walk with him more closely. We are to grow up into him who is the head, 
And Paul shows us that the fruit of obedience through Jesus is sanctification that leads to eternal life. What a promise. Amen? He says it's life or death. That's it. You're either going towards God or you're walking away from Him. And what we engage in either leads to death or grows us, changes us, and we accept that it changes us, and we go towards sanctification and eternal life. And so what is it that we should do? You know, how do we kind of engage this process then? Because, you know, sanctification can be misunderstood sometimes as though it's like our responsibility to grow ourselves, which we can't do. But we can't not grow either. I mean, if we're not growing, that means we're not walking with God. But it's genuinely God's power. It's the Holy Spirit that grows us inside and, and takes us to that new place. So how do we know we're going the right direction. If it's not about our power and ability, but about His, how do we know when we're actually doing what we're supposed to? Well, it's easy. Do the good things that are in your power to do. In any given moment, if we do what will please God, if we do what glorifies God and represents Him, and we put that first in all things, God is going to put us in situations where our faith has to be exercised. Our faith will have to grow in order to do those good things. Because God will continually call us to things that are going to challenge us and change us. As I've said before, one, there's no risk-free vision from God. There's always going to be some kind of risk that we're going to see. But there's also no challenge-free obedience to God. To obey Him means we are stepping up. That means that we are accepting He's working in my own heart to get me to, to move. And in order to move, I have to overcome fear. I have to overcome pride. I have to die to self daily to follow Him. And God will give us, okay, and, and think of this. God will give us opportunities to do good things in life. That it's up to us to choose whether or not we're going to do it. Anybody in here ever look back and you're like, yeah, I missed an opportunity. I, I, I think I knew God was telling me to do something and I didn't do it and then that opportunity was gone. I don't like that feeling. I've had that feeling and I don't like it and I'm sure I'll have it again. Nobody's perfect, but it's, it's that idea of like, man, sometimes God challenges us to do things that they're going to make us uncomfortable, they're going to require sacrifice, it's going to require a, a real heart change in me to do it. But every time in my life, I know that I have said yes to those things and done it, I've never regretted it. I've never regretted it. It has always been something that I look back and I'm like, wow, God, you did that. And I got to be a part of it. Has it led to difficulty sometimes? Oh, absolutely. Has it forced me to grow as a person? Yeah. Has it led to very uncomfortable situations and, and even seasons in life? Yes. But in the end, I see how God works things out for His glory and my benefit. And so we have to have the courage to do that. And so I want you to listen now in verse 14. We hadn't read this yet, but... Nehemiah starts to talk about kind of what this whole process has cost him and what he has engaged in. So verse 14, it says, Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, 
from the 20th year to the 32nd year, so 12 years, he was governor. In the year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds, and every ten days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor, because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember for my good, O God, all that I have done for this people. So what Nehemiah is saying right here is that he paid a pretty penny out of his own pocket to make all of this happen, to keep things moving. Now, is Nehemiah complaining here? No. But he is keeping an accurate record of, look, I did not personally profit from this time as governor. What did he say? He says, the previous governors did. They made money. They charged the people. They put a heavy burden on the people. He says, I did none of that because of the fear of God. Now, why did he do it? Because he could. He was a man of faith who believed God had given him the resources that he had to use for a purpose, to use for, for his glory, and so he wasn't selfish with it. And he said, you know what? I can feed 150 people a day. I'll feed 150 people a day. It's what I can do. And he worked on the wall, and he kept everything moving forward. And it comes down to this simple proverb, Proverb 3.27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. God will give us all opportunities to serve. And, and Paul says basically the same thing in Galatians 6.10. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Nehemiah understood this and he just said, you know what? I can, I can do this. Was it expensive? Absolutely. He's letting you know that. He's saying this cost me a lot. And he still had responsibilities he had to uphold as the cupbearer. He didn't get to just stay in Jerusalem for 12 years. Could you imagine run, do, being both of those, the cupbearer for the king, the most powerful man in the world, and governor of a province at the same time? Nehemiah was, was quite the man. But he did it out of the fear of God because it was in his power can God ask a lot from us? Yes. Is what God asks from us truly ever unreasonable? No. It only feels unreasonable sometimes because we become selfish, because we want to maintain, you know, I don't want my life to change. God, I want to serve you, but I want to, I want to keep things exactly here where I'm comfortable. Well, you know what Nehemiah is telling us right here with, with his generosity? He's saying, I was uncomfortable. I had to do enough that... I feel like it's worth writing down exactly what happened so people know the truth. It wasn't comfortable, but it was doable. Because opportunities to good, do good to others do not last forever. 
And so I want to close two questions. How much are you willing to change to accomplish God's vision? See, that's a, that's a tougher question. That's not just one of those questions of like, hey, are you willing to do what God tells you? Everybody will say yes. How much are you willing to be changed by God in order to accomplish God's vision for your life? And then what good is God calling you to do for others as part of fulfilling God's vision? What opportunities do you have before you now? Or, or will you be aware of them in the future and start looking for them? You know what? God wants me to do this, and I will do it. This is just the process of going through growing pains. They aren't easy questions to answer. It's not easy to engage these things, but it's necessary. And it is worth it.